This is the Source, podcast of the Academy of Experience, an NGO in Hungary, active in the field of youth work and training youth workers. I'm Arpad Barnai, the host of the podcast and one of the trainers of the organization. In this episode of the podcast, our guest is Michele Di Paolo, an expert in youth work training and digital youth work. And this episode was recorded last year, so it's, it's the very first one. So, yeah, we are doing better regarding sound quality now, but still, I, I think it's worth listening to it because Michele is an amazing professional, meaning he's an expert in, in very diverse fields. Like he's a facilitator, youth worker. He also used to work in nature. He's been there since the beginning of this digital transition. So, I mean, like he's following it and uses a lot of digital tools. So digital youth work is one of his things. That's why I invited him, because there's this COVID situation all around the world and it, it shifts our profession towards using more digital tools. And sometimes people are pretty much focused on Okay, but what to use, which is the ultimate tool. And what I really appreciate in his approach is that these are just tools and they come and go. But it's more about the approach, how you approach technology and should you be afraid, how should you treat it, how much screen time should you give or allow your kids, how to approach this whole thing that they spend a lot of time in digital world, how to be a guest there or, or go there together with them. So I think he has some very interesting questions that he shares and ideas also. And uh, I really like the way he thinks about technology. So I think it's a really, really good start to our podcast. And I really appreciate that he came. Hey, thank you. Come on. It's always a pleasure. I've been keeping an eye on you because you do some very exciting stuff. Since this lockdown came and created a situation for people where they uh, need to become more familiar with online tools, digital youth work. So I thought like, okay, I should definitely call you and uh, I'm glad that you accepted the invitation. You were active as a DJ. I guess for more than 10 years, yes. And you are a youth worker also. Maybe in another life, maybe this life too? No, I'm still in this life, yes. I'm still doing this. And you are a trainer, facilitator, also you have that hat? Yes, I'm definitely defining myself in this way more and more. Mm -hmm. You are also a parent? Yes, I have one boy which is going to turn nine. Why I ask this is that I count on these uh, identities of yours or hats you have because you know their reality, and still you have a lot of experience in digital and online fields. Is there any other hat that I don't know of, and you think it's relevant? Maybe one, because I find more and more connections to that experience the more I go on. So I was involved in the scout movement, and there's a place where I guess I got some of my attitudes and approach toward the people and the world and the idea of helping people to get together and so yes i would say that if i need to identify myself in yet another way that would be a good way i would like to identify myself how do you end up being so diverse after a certain moment i started to realize that it wasn't like this for everybody no it happened that i started talking to people oh this summer i want to go camping there you were scout but come on and how comes that you are like studying uh, i was studying literature and arts at university and, and also with the computer attitude that i had this was probably thanks to my dad when i was 10 he signed me up to a programming class which is now should be called coding but there was no such word that time it was me bringing the leaflet home and, ask, and asking him can i go and he was very much into you know, science fiction all this kind of stuff so he got sure of course you can and, and and there is probably where i first met this idea that technology is something that you can anyway bend to your needs and you ended up also being a youth worker and facilitator you play with others and also you do it with a purpose? Yes, I think I've, I've learned a lot while playing games. And I mean all kinds of games, so outdoor games, but storytelling games, and video games. I learned a lot. A lot of what I do in youth work, in facilitation, in training is also connected and related with the experience I got from games. 
so much that I developed a, a training course concept with some friends, including Mafalda, that you know, uh, and another common friend, the trainer, which is called Carmine, Rodi Falanga. We, we created this training course, which was called uh, War Games, as the movie. But then some national agency found it uh, disturbing because you shouldn't play war. So in some country, it was famous like Peace Games. It was exactly a training course based on the idea how games could be used to teach people something. Uh, I have to admit, I'm trying to develop a game myself as an educational tool, which is again still kind of a secret, but I can tell that uh, it is based on the United Nations development goals and, and no more. And these fields of yours, like these two, gaming and playing and digital experience and youth work can come together. The main question of our conversation that what could we learn from games? There's this book of uh, about gaming, like reality is broken. Yeah. It really yeah. struck me like, okay, people spend time and money willingly, voluntarily, and they deliver a lot of work and they uh, solve very complicated tasks and they learn a lot while they play games. And if you ask somehow similar tasks from them in school it's a kind of broken it's not working that well regarding engagement yeah. so if you read the book, I, you, know, you know the answer no? the, the point is exactly what you said it's voluntary engagement and school is not about voluntary engagement instead play it is all <laughs> about voluntary engagement you, know? you cannot anyway force someone to play they, they can pretend they are playing but it's not that you can really force anybody to play, but you really can force anybody to be at school. It does not mean that they will learn, in fact they are not, but they are there and they pretend uh, very well. I mean, it's easier, way easier to pretend to stay in a school than to pretend to be in a game. I mean, you cannot pretend to be in a game. If you play football and you stay like this, <laughs> it's not only, only that your team will lose, that your mates will come and kick you in the ass because you made them lose. No? Yeah, and also you ruined the game. I mean, like you're exactly. almost yeah. out of the game. Yeah, and also you shared you shared a post recently, like about a video game. Like playing war games is way different than being at war because playing war game is voluntarily played. Exactly. And you can quit the game. You cannot quit war. Yeah, that, that's that's a very relevant topic in video games. You know, there are a lot of video games dealing with war because there's a lot of games dealing with war because every kid in a certain moment of his life or her life play somehow something dealing with a fight be it with lego and darth vader against luke skywalker beating each other be it with your finger playing the cowboys and indians whatever but it, it's in there we can question a lot ourselves whether it's right or not, but it's in there. It's in the human nature somehow. I, one of the people who say that humans should put any effort in keeping this very, um, very much under control, but it, you cannot deny that it's in, it's in our nature. No? It doesn't mean that it's justified, of course, but it, it's, it's there. So from one side, I think that playing, an interesting as in English, they use exactly the same word, playing. Uh, Playing a fight is a, it's a good way to put down some pressure out of it, meaning that you can stage a fight. You put a fight on a theater, play. <laughs> and you, you use a game to do it, play. It's funny as in English, it's the same word, the same verb they use to say, play as play a game and play as stage something on, mm -hmm. uh, on, on a theater. And this is the part of myself coming from literary classical studies uh, learned many years ago that when greek people invented theater in the way it's meant in, in the western world that was exactly the reason why they did it you know to put on stage their fears the darker parts their uh, unsolved problems and to recognize and acknowledge all of them in front of the community Mm -hmm. Theater is the place where I can talk about my mother killing a son or I can talk about the God killing someone just because and it's unfair but it is what it is. It, that's the, the safe space where we can put things that we don't like about ourselves but they still are there.
-hmm. and it's a play. So games are <laughs> pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And video games as well, I would say. No? It's not that since I play some shooting game, then I will go out and shoot people. Even though someone say this, it has been researched a lot of times, a lot of times, but still there's no scientific evidence that proves that if you are playing shooter games, then in some way you are more inclined to go outside and kill people. Yeah, yeah, I, I read this McGonagall book and uh, what struck me is that this huge difference, like almost irrelevant if it's about cooperation. So it could be a war game or shooter game, but if I really find connection with people within the game, it's like like playing any other game. When, when I try to hit someone with a ball or play football or whichever, and there's a huge difference if, uh, regarding alienation or being alone if I don't have this connection and there's no no evidence to mm -hmm. shoot yeah. games directly. Also, also, if you play alone uh, and you play some kind of shooter game alone, uh, it's anyway, it's not means that you have like homicidal tendencies or you no. go and kill people. No, that, that's really not true because people instead go on and on claiming this every every time some guy picks up a, a Uzi gun and kill people in the States, they blame video game. I would say maybe probably the first thing to blame is that you can buy an Uzi machine in your supermarket, maybe. Uh, uh, but, but this is never questioned and it's fault of the game anyway. It's, yeah. I think it's kind of a complex issue that we try to simplify when we assume this. It sounds like uh, if I go to the theater and play a murderer as a role, I would be a murderer then later on. You see, no, because that, that space has been sacred and identified as the place where this thing could happen for centuries. The video games, it's really young and new, so it's still a place where a lot of people have to figure out what's happening inside. What I think is that video games are very interesting because they happen in, in, in a space where there is no presence, physical presence as bodies, I mean, but they are probably the only, but anyway, one of the few experiences happening in this kind of environment in which you can easily uh, feel emotions, even though if you are not there physically. No? And this is something that really struck me. You know? We are not there. We, we blame everything digital because it's detached from our personal physical experience. But then video game is a place which, although being detached and far from our physical reality, we can feel emotions, be it anger for, for losing a game or surprise for, for a twist in, in, the, in the story or uh, happiness because something unexpected came out of your actions or whatever but it's very easy to identify emotions in video games and it's i guess one of the few aspects of the digital world in which this can happen but getting back to, to what you said before about the war that was an interesting post starting from an interesting document that i found in milan they held this festival about machinima cinema it's machinima it's a new form of art also basically they are movies shot inside video games so using video games characters as actors and of course video game backgrounds as settings and, and backgrounds so they are quite well spread nowadays so there are tools to to shoot your own machinima inside minecraft and so on and so on. and this collective of anti-military pacifist groups whatever coming from Germany after, I don't remember. They decided to do this experiment to use the video game Battlefield, Battlefield 5, which is all about the Second World War, and to see if there is a way to deny war in a game about war. And they made a movie out of it. And the, the movie tells the story uh, of how it is impossible to deny war inside a war video game because there is no other space out of that. So if you run away, uh, someone will shoot you and you will be sentenced to death for desertion. And then they explain in the movie that desertion has been part of war 
since the beginning of humankind. Yeah? And it became more and more relevant until the, the First and the Second World War, in which they had to put up rules and, uh, and, and regulation to, to avoid and fight desertion because millions of people were trying to escape war anyway. Yeah? And that's exactly the point. Uh, in war, mm-hmm. you are there and war happens all around you, but then you can take your, your stand. You can be part of it, or you can try to deny it, to avoid it, to hide from it, to run from it, whatever. And also you can, you can choose as many soldiers have chosen of not to shoot someone, but exactly. to miss the target. Exactly. Or to shoot your commander when he was commanding you to kill people. Also this happened, no? yeah. because you also have to remember this kind of maybe extreme, but testified uh, behavior. Instead, if you are in a video game about war, that's only war as a chance. So probably as someone decides to do, the other chance could be not to play, you know, which is exactly the line from, from War Games, the movie, you know, when the computer in the end stands that starting a nuclear war to win a game, it's, it's crazy. The computer says, it's a strange game. The only way to win it is not to play it. Probably <laughs> that's the learning. Huh? That's the learning out of it. If you want to win in a game about war, the winning move is not to play war. But also, I like this line. Yeah, I, I also, like this line. Yeah, but the movie is it's great. I mean, I love the movie. Can I come back to the question? Uh, because I really like this, I don't know, controversy or not, but as you said, games are played voluntarily. And school is not your choice. I mean, like being there, kids don't have a choice in, in a lot of fields of their lives, like parenting and uh, teaching kids and being a youth worker also means that you take some of their responsibility and you decide for them. So there's some obligatory part of, of being together. Mm-hmm. So what could we learn in these fields from games? Just to connect to what we were saying now, uh, one of the things we can we can learn is is about topic and angles. Uh, so yes, we can do video games talking about war with no other option than fight, but then we can also create video games in which there is another choice. So this is something which really motivates me to figure out different angles and ways to design activities. There is, there is a studio from England, I guess, it's called the 11 Bits. They made uh, to me, the best video game ever about war, which is called This War of Mine, which has a very glorious trailer of soldiers running with full weapons and shooting to each other. And then all of a sudden, the camera goes behind the wall, and behind the wall there is a family hidden like this inside the shooting. And you get to know that in the game, you're not playing the soldiers, you're playing the family. Wow. And what? And it's based, uh, it's not officially said, but it's based during the Sarajevo siege. You have to survive for a few days and nights wow. in the Sarajevo siege. It's a different narrative. It's completely a different narrative. And it really, I mean, I, I could never play a video game about war after that in the same way as before. I mean, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. having an impact. So this is one wow. big learning, changing the game, changing the angle. And the other one, as you mentioned, Jane McGonigal, Reality is Broken book that I love. Exactly about this, she talks about scale. Kids have a lot of things in their lives which are already set up. You know, schools, families, youth centers, sports. Yes, you can maybe do little choices. You can enjoy it more or less, but it's there and it's like this. Instead, in video games, they have the free choice, if they will, to make the world. Mm-hmm. So you stay at home in three hours time and you are challenged to save the world. And then you go out, you're not even allowed to go to school alone by feet. Mm-hmm. And kids are not stupid, they understand the difference. So it's an extended identity and somehow a better, bigger version of myself that I can experience. It's about, I mean, it's about being serious with the objective you offer me. You are giving me the chance of uh, saving the world in my video game that I play, but then you're telling me that when I go out and I walk to school, I cannot walk to school alone because I'm a kid. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I saved the world two hours ago, and now I, I cannot <laughs> walk to school. I know it's, it, of course, it's, a, it's, it's, it's full of metaphors and, uh, of course, probably provocative. Yeah, but but you, you mean like there's a, a gap between 
giving you all the responsibility of saving the world and then taking a lot of resp responsibility from you, even the responsibility or level of it that you could take. Exactly, exactly. Normally, uh, our adult society tends to strip kids of all responsibilities, no? because they want, we want them to be kids as long as possible. And uh, so they should not act by themselves. So the only space they actually have to act by themselves, uh, at least until a certain age, I mean, I'm still talking about, you know, 10, 12, 13. Then after that, the, the threshold story comes to be a bit different. But until that, the threshold, there is this schizophrenic situation in which kids are able to solve complex challenges and situations uh, leading them to save the world. Of course, in a game, in a metaphor, but anyway from one side and from the other side they are not even allowed i don't know to go shopping alone or to mm -hmm. walk to, so to try themselves and yeah uh, and go for smaller quests yeah to me it's a lot to do uh, with education i mean i always saw education probably coming from the scout movement blah 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 as going one step beyond your comfort zone and then there is where you learn something and then of course you need a support system you shouldn't be alone you need to be controlled and of course everything but then the point is how much steps outside of the comfort zone we are offering kids the possibility to take in video games a lot in reality really not so many and then every time they ask me ah but why kid now spend so much time inside video games where should they go can they play in the street no no, no and not anymore can they go around alone? Not anymore. Not, not to say now with COVID, come on. Are they allowed to, to have a place where they can gather by themselves with no adults telling them what to do and how to behave? Not at all. So why they shouldn't be in the only place where they are allowed a little bit of freedom to be what they want to be? Then, of course, everything can be misused, uh, of course. But, but to me, it's, it's, I mean, if I if I was 15 years old today, I, would, I guess I would be there inside Fortnite trying to enjoy with my friends. Because otherwise, which other chances could I have? I mean, be, living in a big city with a lot of cars and traffic in the streets and a lot of pollution and not such a brilliant weather to stay outside a lot of months in the year. Which are the options which are the options I can face? Yeah, good question. Good question. And what are your thoughts on gamification? Well, mixed feeling, I would say. You know, gamification is super interesting as a way to motivate people. So it's also it's a way of uh, learning what games do to engage people and use it for a purpose where they are not playing, but exactly. Let's let's try to define it a little bit. You know, it's using some mechanics from from games, uh, especially the mechanics of action and reward. So if I do something good, you give me a positive reinforcement or a kind of reward. If I'm not doing good, you tell me this is not the way, please get back. This mechanism, which by the way, it's one of the most powerful mechanisms in video games where the feedback system is probably the most effective feedback system ever. Because if you win, you understand immediately that you are winning like so, so you get instant feedback instant exact instant feedback instant feedback and uh, like and if you if you lose as well you get instant feedback, no? feedback and it's a way of getting feedback which is also able to put it in a lighter way i mean you lose your your play your game your your character is dead but it's dead in a super spectacular way you know it's it's an epic fail it's a fail but it's still epic everything explodes and there is an incredible distraction and you, you, you laugh and, and you let go of the fact that you, you lost. It's a bit of theater-like yes. playing it out. And also uh, what I hear from us now talking about this, that for sure we could learn this needful feedback that could be useful. Games do that. And also the other thing is that the permission to fail. Like, okay, yeah, you can start yes. again. And people fail a lot in games. That's how you learn. But, but we have this say in Italy saying, you do a mistake and you learn. But, but that's not how it works in reality. No? In reality, in school, in meaning in everyday reality of the average kid, when you make a mistake, you get a bad mark. Not that you learn. Mm -hmm. 
instead in game while playing you, you you made a mistake and you learn and next time you play you try to not to make the same mistake and to uh, get a step uh, forward so about gamification what i say is it's just the idea is a very interesting idea of using these kind of mechanics to help people be more engaged and have more motivation to do any task but the problem is any task uh, any task including a lot of tasks that probably is not so good to push on people i mean if you look carefully gambling uses some of the same mechanics huh? and is forcing you or in a way pushing you to do something that is really not healthy to you and and then there are these you know utopian scenarios popping up from china lately about the social credit system based on gamification mm -hmm. it's an episode of the first series of, uh, of the black mirror black mirror yeah exactly what you talk about is like uh, taking out conscious choice and our ability to make our choice to play a game or not and what to do and what not is a crucial one and if we use gamification to push people or hook them or engage them in whatever they want or don't want is something that might have some ethical uh, question marks. Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, to stay on the on the war topic that we were exploring before, there is a series of books that I love. They made a movie out of the first one, uh, which is the Ender Game saga. And the movie out of the first one is exactly called the Ender Game, in which there are these kids which are trained in the military academy to become the best generals of their world, which is fighting an endless war with some alien race. And they're trained exactly using these super real-life-looking video games, in which they have to fight battles with starships and bombing planets. Then, spoiler alert, in, in the end, what you learn together with the main character is that they weren't video games at all. They were real actual battles with people dying and they were uh, trained to fight the battle, misguiding them uh, as they were playing, because in, in this way, all the moral side uh, were exactly put aside because we are just playing a game. So yes, I will sacrifice three or four of my starships and all the people inside, but in this way I will win the battle. So let's go for it. And then real people died in that battle because of that choice. But you didn't even consider the choice because come on, it's just a game. Mm -hmm. So this part of gamification, come on, it's just a game, uh, it's a bit problematic to me. The idea that uh, games and game mechanics can be put at work to help people be more engaged or more faithful to, to some achievement or whatever, per se, it's very interesting and very powerful. But then again, it's, it's up to us, I mean, to the people that shape the game, to, to decide which is the angle and what you want to include or not include in the game, because that makes a whole difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It also sound, sounds like that it's, it's not only the game designers or gamification experts' responsibility, but our own responsibility as a society to increase the level of consciousness of our choices also. So yeah, we... Also, specifically talking about video game, society has not such a long story with video games. So video games and the, as video games as we mean them popped up in the 70s. So it's been around for 50 years. It's quite a new thing. It's yeah. really a new thing for a lot of people. It's still something very, very new. Also because they evolved a lot. And of course, video games of today are really not so much in common with the ones of 50 years ago. But maybe some but not so many. So there is really the need to explore more and also the kind of normal reaction of demonizing and running away from something that you don't know and you don't want or don't feel confident to, uh, to explore. You shared about this dystopian uh, scenario. You are somehow growing up with technology, these huge changes. You've, you've been learning since the age of... 10, 11, you said, yeah. and uh, you seem to be a, a fan of digital improvement. You seem to be, I mean, like someone who sees the merits or the mm -hmm. advantage of digital stuff. Mm -hmm. And you seem to be someone also who is uh, aware of hard questions and the difficulties it might bring. And there is this huge change that is increasingly faster and faster 
and you might hear uh, conversations like Elon Musk talking to Joe Rogan, sharing that there might be a direct computer interface plugged into your brain. You will plug in a computer to to level up your computing uh, competence. So, okay, what what are, what are your thoughts on this? Like this this increasing speed of change and directions of change of in digital world. Of course, I have no no global to, okay. uh, no, to 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 see the future. So I really don't know. What I can tell you about this is that there was a moment when the the internet became popular. So early nineties, uh, which I was grown up enough to to understand things as they were, and I was in, in, in university at the time, and I had the, the, the luck to 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 see the first spreading of, of connectivity and the internet and the internet as it, uh, as it was back then. So uh, news groups, discussion groups, and first uh, very basic websites. And that time we really had the feeling that this new stuff would change the world for good. And meaning for good as in, in a good way, in, in a better way. Mm -hmm. This would be finally the place where we could acknowledge each other as part of the same human families with no more boundaries no more borders countries blah, 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 blah. probably also because you know two years ago three years ago five years ago uh, we, we we saw the Berlin Wall come down and there was probably an atmosphere pushing us in, in that direction we could really acknowledge that something was pushing us in a good good direction now, if I have to say what I think about the internet, I look at social media and say, come on, <laughs> come on, guy, get it right. No, this, this is not the way, really, not the way. I try to be optimistic in a way, and I try to, to take it personal, even though I'm taking it a lot of personal, because I feel like they ruined my game. But anyway, what I think is that all this hatred, all this need of throwing your shit in face of the others and such, it was there already, it has always been there. Simply now it has an easier and faster way to spread around to, to the biggest audience possible in, in human history. So I don't know, I mean, I feel now uh, a bit less optimistic than a few years ago about the, the idea that the technology could save our life. I think that the only thing that could save our life is ourselves. So it's a choice, be it conscious or unconscious. This, this is something I, I don't know. But as every choice you, 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 you make, it's, it's better when you make a choice after being informed a little bit. So that's mm -hmm. why also I'm trying to promote a lot of programs uh, dealing with media education, which I think it's badly, badly missing in the education curricula nowadays. Say we are in the civilization of image, almost nobody teaches a kid to how to read an image, uh, how to uh, understand the impact that an image fabricated in a way or in another can have to the audience and how you fabricate an image and how you can understand that the image is fabricated or not. These should be primary school subjects. And, and recognizing fake news is another huge topic. Uh, also about this, you know, we're trying to push any kind of program about uh, about fake news to schools in primary, kids and such. But why not on elderly people then, or people in their 50s or 60s, which are the biggest sector of victims in society yeah. of fake news? I mean, I guess there is where the need is, is most concentrated. And since we don't tackle this, this need, I don't know we will, how we will overcome. It's a big, it. big one. And what are your wishes or hopes for us as a humanity yes i mean like you said like you were a bit optimistic more well, optimistic <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, was, I was more optimistic about technology now i'm probably a bit more realistic and so I, I see that technology is just another tool in the hands of humankind and uh, as every tool in the hands of humankind it depends on what we do with it the potentiality of these tools are super powerful in a positive way. I still remain convinced that a tool which can put uh, each other in contact, in connection, uh, should be a good tool. But then again, if you don't know properly how to use it, or if you're not uh, very 
confident with the way of using it for good, then it can become a real, a real pain in the ass. So my, my desire would be that I hope that we will learn to deal with online communication mostly, which is the technology I'm mostly referring now when I talk about this internet thing, which again is something which has been around for 30 years. So it's not such a surprise that people really do not uh, understand exactly how, how it works. No? It's really, really, it's really new. It's newer than video games. No? Yes, I, I hope that we could find a way altogether to, to learn, to improve our knowledge on how to use these tools. And again, what I'm trying to do is give my hand in, in, in establishing programs and activities to, to increase the culture, literacy, attitude in using these tools for good. On the other side, and this is my biggest concern, is that I see people pushing a political agenda through these tools, which is really, really scary. And it's not been so openly scary in my sight ever in my life. I mean, for how social media work, it's really effective in spreading fear, in spreading hatred, in spreading division and contempt of the difference and so on and so on. And when I see people willingly put efforts, energy, money, in pushing such a political agenda to push these kind of values, negative values, but still values, in people through the social media, then it's when I feel fear. Mm -hmm. The way can be a new way, but the people, they're not new people. It's the same shit as always. No? So far, sooner or later, at a greater or a smaller cost, they have been overcome. And so they will be. Point is, at which cost? And this is a scary yeah. question. This is a very scary yeah. question. But yeah, I'm confident that we will make we will make it somehow. The problem is exactly how. <laughs> yeah, we see some events in the US unfolding and they are all around the world. And if we come to more smaller scale, you as a parent, you also face these questions. Also, you face the question of how much screen time is good for the kids. Also, how much time do you spend with your family when you're off screen and you share your attention and time together? So, so how do you do, deal with these new questions and challenges of digitalization? There is a scholar that I really rate and consider, which is called Sonia Livingston. Uh, she's working from the London School of Economics currently, I think. And she's studying these kind of things. She's been studying this for quite a while. She was the lead uh, scholar in a European-wide research called EU Kids Online, which then evolved into uh, EU Kids Go Mobile or something like that. Uh, exactly trying to understand all the effects of technology, screens and such on kids and education. One of the most interesting things of the research that she continually pointing out on Twitter also where she, she's very active is that it's not so much about the time it's more about the way so what's happening in that time because one hour of screen in which during which some kind of things happen it's very different from the same hour of, uh, of screen in which completely different things happen so it's really not about time it's about what's happening there so I decided to trust this kind of attitude. So I decided that there is average screen time that I allow my son to use, not, not because I think that it would be bad for his health, but because there are other things that need to be done, like homework, like uh, seeing friends, like uh, walking the dog or whatever. So everything should have a proper time. And it's also something you should learn as a general learning for life to organize its time. But then again, uh, regarding screen time it, to, to me and to us, for, uh, towards our son, it's mostly about what's happening in the time. So be it half an hour, be one hour, not much more, I mean, not, not, not that more, but half an hour, one hour of doing what? So for instance, in the last year, year and a half, I've been engaging in uh, using Minecraft with Martino. Minecraft is a place where I designed some training courses for kids as well, inside the game, I think. So it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's super nice. Huh? Uh, so this kind of experience has been, of course, an extraordinary starting point to, to 
play with him. So we are sitting on the table, uh, one in front of the other, and me, I'm on my computer, he's on his computer, and he connects to my computer, and he enters my Minecraft world, and we play together in the same Minecraft world as fellow characters, building stuff together, fighting enemies together. In the first times, I really had to fight hard to convince him to do stuff with me. He wanted to go alone, to do his own stuff alone. But then now he decided that, yeah, this old man can be trusted because he makes me do interesting things. And then we start to use extension that the community of Minecraft users develop for free to expand the game, which is another aspect that I would stay here and talk about for two years. Because Minecraft is the most sold video games in the world in history and it's been around for 11 years and still top selling which is incredible but this means that it has a huge community of fans and a big part of this community of fans during the years grew up and became coders programmers developers and they created expansions extensions for the game which you can install for free and, and make the game uh, include uh, pokemon make the game include star wars make the game include marvel superheroes whatever it's exactly what we are doing together uh, installing this kind of modification mods as they call it to play together using uh, star wars worlds and characters and weapons or Pokemon fights and there's another one it's called Galacticraft this is modification in which you expand the game with the possibility of doing space trips to visit other planets you can go to Venus to Mars to the moon and so we spend some time in exploring the planets establishing our base we have a base on the on the moon and we have a base on Venus this is well, exploration and adventures are there yeah of thanks to the collaboration cooperation and collaboration of players and and what i hear from you is that this is a very good kind of screen time when you use it for bonding and also during the lockdown uh, what struck me as a train like poof in the face that is martino had an assignment from school you know write down about your family during these lockdown times and here the lockdown has been quite tough because my area is the worst area in italy so we are under lockdown yeah. from the end of february and we are closing the lockdown really these days. Mm -hmm. so you live in Bergamo? You live in close, Bergamo? Close, close, close. close to Bergamo. Halfway from Milan to Bergamo. So, mm -hmm. yeah, quite close. It's half an hour by car. So, he got this assignment, right, about your family. And he wrote this, say, saying, ah, so now we're spending a lot of time together, more than, than ever before. And so, I discovered that uh, my dad is a funny guy. I can enjoy playing with him. From one side, I was super happy, of course. From the other side, I said, come on. So my son had to wait eight years and a world uh, epidemics to understand that he can enjoy staying with me. And this struck me really hard. So, mm -hmm. so I decided that I should go for more time and more kind of quality time with him. So we try to have every week some time together. He plays his own games and whatever, but try to have every week some time together to play or do something together. And before he came to me and said, Dad, what are we doing together this week? I said, well, I don't know. Let's, let's think about it. We have some time until Friday and then we decide what, what we can do together. But yeah, definitely something I want to keep from as a learning out of the lockdown. Be it on video games or whatever else, I don't care. But it, this is something which popped up from out of this experience. Well, well thanks for this distinction of screen time. I think it's useful for quite many of us. And also I'm curious, like, what would you say for newbies in the digital field? Because you, you write a blog and you have four blog posts about digital youth work. Mm -hmm. Also, you've, be, you've been exploring this area for quite a while. So if I'm a youth worker who considers himself as, okay, I'm a newbie, hmm, I don't know, I avoided this thing for a while. They are quite complicated or for whichever reason. And now this situation forces me to, to start. And it's huge, it's a lot, it's complex. So any advice you would give to a newbie? First of all, try to analyze your, your starting point. Meaning that if you already have a group of youngsters you are working with, then basically it's done because you can establish a platform or a couple of platforms that you can experience 
logging in and meeting online with them. And then they can help you. Not meaning that they can come up with some ideas for the activities, they will not. There's no such thing as digital natives, but they can help you to be more confident with the tools because this is what they are. More confident with the tools because they have used it more and, and they have less worrying about doing something wrong with it. So if you have a group to work with, my advice would be try to do some experiment with and within your own group. Let's meet on Zoom, meet, whatever, and let's try to have fun online. Come up with some proposal yourself. I will bring a couple of proposals myself. And then we see which one is the best. Put some little bit of challenge as a good little gamification tip and make it more spicy. Then what I wrote in my blog post, being online is mostly a visual experience, at least so far. So that's the plan you may want to engage your, your youngster with. So it should be something dealing with the visual plan. So if you have videos, if you have images or memes or whatever visual approach, it would be better than just staying and seeing your face talking. Then smaller group work better. For instance, that's why we are using Zoom more than other platforms because it allows to have uh, these breakout rooms where you can split your group in smaller ones. Mm -hmm. But then it's something that you can anyway replicate I don't know, you use whatever other platform, you can set up other calls with smaller groups of participants yeah. and then you meet again in the, in the main one. It's not impossible. But the anyway, idea is to make more interaction. Yeah, smaller group call for more interaction. And you, you normally open up more, there's less time pressure. Usually they work better. So plenary, it's, it's just for hello everybody, here we are, let's start to do something, let's split. And then what I'm trying to do experiments in right now, uh, again, it's a bit of a secret, but me and some friends, we're trying to not even use video conferencing tools, but try to use video games as meeting places. So meet in a game. Exactly. In an wow. online game. Uh, try to meet in an online game. This is, a, I mean, it's complicated for a number of reasons. First of all, game costs. <laughs> A game costs can cost a lot of money and then you need hardware to play it, which can cost much more money. But, you know, some game, I don't know, Fortnite, I don't like it at all. I mean, I find it a very childish game. But anyway, it's super, super spread. And it's really not so much demanding in terms of hardware. It works on every platform. It is free to play. And they just introduced creative uh, modality gameplay so you don't have to only play to kill everybody and be the last man standing as in the regular game so when this happened we started to understand how we could do this enter the game establish our own place build up our facilities our rooms buildings mm -hmm. we are slowly trying to understand what could be done in there which kind of integration but the game has a voice chat inside, so it can really work as a video conferencing tool. <laughs> but so, sorry, so you're kind of escaping the game. I mean, like to use it for something else. Coming yeah. back to your thing, we yeah, yeah, I mean, why not? Exactly. You know? But I, I, I have to admit that I can do it from the moment they allow me to have a non-competitive version of the game. Otherwise, it would not be possible. Oh yeah in that game but for instance another experiment that we did but then we decided to, to quit because it could be too too costly is to do exactly the same in uh, red dead redemption which is a video game uh, based in the far west where you can ride on your horse for a day in, in a field or in a forest without meeting anybody so why don't we meet somewhere and we stay in the forest for one day to do our activities as a so you do, you do outdoor activities in Red Dead Redemption? We were thinking about it, but then decided to, to let it go for now because, come on, 60 euros of game plus a console or a gaming PC uh, plus a reliable connection ah. it becomes a bit too much excluding for quite some people. Silly game like Fortnite, it's free, it's not very much demanding in terms of hardware. It can be a easier first step 
mm. but the idea is still there. Uh, yeah. So, so the the more complex games become, like the richer experience they can give. There's a chance of using the game for something that's different than the narrow scope of the game itself. But you can use it to explore or meet up or even go to expedition or outdoor stuff. Yeah, that's, that's a it, it became already a few years ago a philosophical question in video game itself. There is a game called The Stanley Parable. It's a very strange simulation game. You, you wake up in your office and nobody's there. So you wander around your office, other offices, uh, and you find some sign in the meeting room. We are all in the main meeting room. So you, I mean, you want to understand what's happening. You, you, you move around and you try to explore. And there is this off-screen voice telling everything you do. In terms of game design, it is great because they make, they planned every possible action. And you reach a certain moment in which there are two doors, one is red and one is blue, and the player decided to go for the red. And then you enter the red door and you go, and you find nobody and then you come back. The third time you're right there and you hear the voice saying, the gamer decided to go for the red door. At a certain moment, you say, come on, fuck it, I will go for the blue one. And you open the blue one. And then is when the game completely changes. You hear the voice saying, what are you doing? I told you the gamer went in the red room. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> is this a possibility that I have or not? And then you understand that the game is, uh, in fact, is about uh, trying to understand which possible choice you really have in the game. And so you start playing against the voice, doing exactly the opposite the off-screen voice will tell you to do. And you end up dying all the time, but you never die because the game never ends. And you, you start back and it's a crazy game. It's really a crazy game. And wow. It's a philosophical parable no, of wow. exactly this kind of topic. Which possibilities are in video games? Who decides which possibilities are in video games? There is another small game for mobile game. It's called There Is No Game. You download the app. It's a free app. You open the app and it starts saying, what are you doing here? There is no game. And you there's something on the screen. There is a, there is a scribbling. Of, there is no game. You try to push the letters and such. And at a certain moment, some letters fall down. And the voice starts to blame you. What did you do? You, you broke my sign. Now you have to fix it. And then again, you understand that there is no game, but something is there anyway. You know? And you try to, to fiddle with, with the screen and the voice answers back to you and it goes on and on like this. Whoa, thank you. You're expanding uh, the understanding of what's possible in games. But, but th there is uh, some attempt of doing like philosophy in, mm -hmm. in, in video games. But anyway, yes, the, the idea of video games that can be, as they say, sandboxes. No? One of the reasons mm -hmm. why Minecraft is so successful is, is indeed it, it's a sandbox. It's like Lego. No? It's a system. Yeah to build up whatever you want to do. It's not that there, yeah, there is a play, a, a gameplay in Minecraft, you can play this competitive mode. You have to, to fight monsters and yeah, but you can also play the creative mode. And in, in that mode, it's, it's, it's like playing Lego. No? There is no fixed idea and you can do basically whatever you want. Uh, it's cool. I would like to come to another question that we face with this. As you said, you, you wanted to, explore possibilities in Red Dead Redemption, mm -hmm. but it's costly. There's a certain barrier. Inclusion is a huge one. We also uh, tried to do online youth work during the lockdown in Hungary, and we faced some obstacles. Uh, there were some good attempts, like some working solutions, and, and we faced with the uh, situation that some kids don't have tools or don't have internet access or don't know how to use other platforms or maybe the family situation is not like that. So the whole topic of inclusion is on the table. Your thoughts on that? The topic of inclusion is on the table. <laughs> it's definitely on the table. And, and, and this is a super, super political issue. Since I'm not so young anymore, I can remember during the 90s, activists in which I probably count myself campaigning for one head, one access, talking about internet access, like 95, what could that be? Yeah, 98, that time. What these kind of people were asking, exactly what, what's coming clear now, it's a basic need. If you go more and more in the direction of giving importance 
to the internet as a tool for everyday life, then it shouldn't maybe even be something that you pay for. It should be like water, which basically we pay for, but not so much. And it's also questionable. In my country, there was a very debated referendum to make water system public, and we won in the end. Come on, it's water. With climate change, these questions become more and more relevant. Exactly. So water should be easy access for everybody and probably the internet should be <laughs> easy access for everybody. But this is instantaneously gets on a political level. No? And, and on a local level or youth work level, uh, like we see that this huge question and this, this territory that includes politics also. And if I'm a youth worker who play on this field and would like to decrease inequality in this sense or, or help people be more included. Any uh, good practices or places to go to, to check or any experience you would like to share? Mm-hmm. Well, what I see is there are two possible approaches. One I prefer, honestly, and one which I have to say it's working anyway. The one which is anyway working is the, let's say, charity approach. For instance, in Italy, when all kids were forced to stay home and school moved completely online, we faced nationwide this problem in a super huge way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was counted at least 10% of students uh, had no access for the reason you were mentioning, no no tools or no connection or whatever. 10% of school attendees were not able to, to, to go to school anymore. So what happened, phone companies, started to increase the quantity of gigabytes they were giving in their offers or even to give extra special free offers for students. The government put some money to provide uh, tablets for kids which did not have devices at home and so on and so on. Charities. I will give you a fish. You are, you are hungry, I'll give you a fish. Mm-hmm. Then there is the other approach, is I teach you how to fish, which is probably more complicated mm-hmm. and it takes more time, but to me in the long term is more effective. And again, it opens up a super wide field of discussion, which is we should owe technology, not be owned by technology. Uh, when I was a kid, my generation were super confident in taking a motorbike, tearing it down, changing, fixing, replacing parts, uh, rebuilding and using it again. Nowadays, try to open up a computer if you are able to. Try to put your hands into, not to talk about the phone. Yeah, mobiles. Yeah, you're not even able to do that. Or yes, you are, but it's for few. Then there are places, not so well spread, but there are like fab labs, like hackerspace or makerspace, especially in big cities. If you are a youth worker, maybe you can get in touch with them and try to find a way to build up a small dependence in your small town, maybe also invite some of them to give you some lecture from time to time. There is a big need of owning the technology we use. This means, for instance, that uh, if I have an old phone which is not getting uh, updates from the phone company or the brand that we build the phone anymore, at least if it's an Android phone, it's quite easier. It's easier if it's an Android phone, but it's quite easy anyway to install updates by yourself and and be able to use the last generation of apps. But then yeah. nobody nobody tells you how to do it. You have to go on this super big forum with international hackers coming from all over the world, India, China, whatever, that provide you the software, the, the instructions. Yes. But then once I learn this, why not teach a group of kids how to do oh, yeah. it by themselves? No? The, the whole idea of hacking is about you know, owning the technology you use. And this is exactly how the European movement that I love very much started. It's called Coder Dojo. It started in Ireland more or less 10 years ago. There was an entrepreneur active in the technology field, which noticed that in a school there was this bunch of kids always gathering around these these other kids, which basically found a way to hack the iPod to increase the number of songs that you could add and change the controls to uh, the internal software. And it was teaching them how to do it. Owning technology and learning how to hack things would, would, be, would be something where disadvantaged youth could use their resources also because they are more experienced in, in uh, using 
things in, on their own way because most of uh, their tools life is not ready-made i mean like they need to adapt but it, it's a good way to save some money which is always good for everybody not only for less privileged people but in general it also has a better impact uh, seeing that on the environmental plane because it's uh, reuse recycle technology which has a big impact when it's trashed so it's good for a lot, number of, of reasons but the, the best one to me is exactly what i said i mean we should learn to own uh, at least a bit of the technology we use. So, well, there is no connection. Yes, building up a connection is not so easy. The moment I can use a connection and share a connection with maybe my local authorities can provide, for instance, in the public library or I don't know where, then talking about devices, then it becomes easier, actually easier to use not super new devices to anyway achieve at least some goals while doing activities mm. online then of course it depends where you set the bar it can be also that you know android phones have this possibility of doing a multiple call voice call i mean you can talk together with three or more people mm -hmm. just as a phone call nobody consider it because we all want to go for the bling bling video interactive things but then you, know, you deal with what you have so this is a possibility, you know. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. If someone risks to be excluded and this is the only way you can get in touch, then come on, call. Use a voice That's call. Really you know? mm -hmm. and, and then you understand that voice calls can be embedded in, in a Zoom conversation because it's possible. And then, of course, uh, the, the person will not be there uh, with the face, but anyway, will be there with the voice. And it's anyway included somehow in, in the conversation which is ongoing. And then, and then, and then. Well, thanks for this. It's uh, pointing us to a very, very good direction, at least promising one. And um, I would like to also mention that your activity or, or in this field, like uh, what would you say to people who got interested in your work? Where can they find you and what can they find from you? So the starting point would be the blog, www.dipaola.me. And there, there is a section in Italian, which I use to blog about my poor country <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. questions. And then there is an international section in English where I normally deal with more general topics exactly as hints on how to do youth work online and, and such. So this is a good starting point. There is a Facebook page which is connected to the, to the blog, so they can find the link on the blog to the Facebook page as well. If they really, really, really enjoy what they find there, they can think about subscribing, meaning that they can get all the updates. There is also a form of paid subscription, which never happened so far, but again, never say never. So if they really, 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 really love what they find on the blog, they can subscribe uh, a Patreon, uh, so give me a few euros every month, or make a donation or whatever. I'm a bit uncomfortable with this, but it's something which is also interesting. I found it effective. It is something coming from the old time internet, which is now coming back. No? Yeah. If you it find something relevant, you, you back in a few bucks, not big money, but just a few coins, and then multiplied by the lot of people around, it becomes enough to support someone and giving the signal that what you do is appreciated. Uh -huh. Basically, I would say blog. Articles are being published here and there. Sometimes I remember to mention them on the blog, but not always. Mm -hmm. but for instance, there is one now out on the last issue of uh, logbook, which kind of competencies uh, we should define as it workers to go in the direction of doing digital youth work. Uh, so there is an article there, which is basically a list of possible tools. It's kind of article I don't like very much because I think that list of tools tend to age not so good. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's rapidly up. changing. Yeah, exactly. But still, there are many other articles by other guys which are anyway relevant. And then sometimes training courses. There will be a new World Games, for instance, which I mentioned already about mm -hmm. the, the use of games as educational tools, and including also video games, uh, which actually we don't know when because, of course, all European mobility now it's a bit freezed. Yeah, yeah. Sooner or later it will happen. And so then, people can approach you uh, with these topics, digital topics, digital youth work, and also with with uh, training and facilitation kind of activities. 
Yes, and if the two things are connected, I'm even happier. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I love to do training <laughs> and facilitation when digital stuff is included. I enjoy doing it anyway, but when I can bridge together my two mm -hmm. big passions, I'm super, super happy. Oh, great, great. And really, really thank you for this conversation. I mean, it was a pleasure. There was a lot of very interesting things that we, uh, we discussed. I really appreciate it and hope to see you next time. And stay safe. Take yeah, care. You too. And see you, I don't know where and when, but hopefully soon. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. The Academy of Experience, our organization, celebrates its 15th birthday this year. And we invite you to join us. Join us in the celebration and those who follow our podcasts and events online or offline and if you can participate also we are also grateful for any kind of feedback or support to our work regarding this we really leave it open to you in what channel would you wish to give us feedback or what kind of support you would like to offer us we would be grateful for that thank you for being with us and hope to see you back soon